and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry and to provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Melissa Collier-Getford, and on today's special episode, we have a very exciting guest with us, Chris Wilterdink. Chris Wilterdink is the Director of Young People's Ministries for Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. His background in English education, project management, and Stephen ministry influences his ministry with youth and young adults around the world. He lives in Colorado with his wife, Emily, and two children. Chris, welcome. Melissa, thank you. It is really exciting to be here this morning. I'm so excited to have you. So this episode is all about talking about Gen Z and caring for the students in our congregations and in our communities. Um, But before we get started talking about that, I'm interested. So how did you get to this position in your work? Uh, Tell tell me your story. Yeah, um, I'll try to give you the short version because we could go down all kinds of rabbit holes if we really wanted to, but sure. sure. Um, so I uh, grew up in the church. Uh, I'm a I'm a pastor's kid or a PK, right? Um, and usually we go one of two directions. There's not a lot of uh, in the middle stuff, right? You either right. hang out and stay real connected to the church, or uh, you just do something else. Right. Uh, and uh, I ended up doing the uh, the church route a little bit. So grew up in youth group and um, was really active as a student leader uh, in the United Methodist Church where I was growing up, and then uh, took some time off during college from church life when I was studying English education. Um, graduated with my undergrad and taught English for eighth graders and freshmen for a couple of years. And in the course of that, I started uh, getting trained as a Stephen minister. And there was a pastor in that training group who was learning how to start a Stephen ministry for her own church. They had a youth ministry position open, and um, it was at the same time I was deciding whether or not to re-up my contract with the school district that I was teaching for. Uh, and I found that you know I, I really loved being able to be a part of the adolescent experience and helping young people mature. Um, and I was teaching at the same time as like state standards for education were becoming a thing. Mm. And so all of a sudden, there was a lot less freedom in terms of what you could teach in the classroom and what was important just because you only had so much time. Um, sure. So I ended up following that um, kind of call into youth ministry, did a bit of training and um, got my master's at Regis University in Denver uh, in nonprofit and project management. And that kind of opened the door for um, this sort of a position that I have with the general agency of the United Methodist Church Discipleship Ministries. Um, I started off as the director of uh, program development for the United States, and then kind of in a big shuffle, uh, I became the director of uh, all of it, really. So uh, these days I get to, uh, yeah, I I get to connect with youth and young adults and those who lead those ministries, not only in the United States, but uh, all around the world in our organized uh, annual conferences, central conferences, uh, and missionary conferences as well. So um, that's been really incredible getting to be able to connect and see what the youth experience or what, you know, growing up to a spiritually mature Christian looks like uh, in different parts of the world, right? Because uh, what that looks like for somebody in the United States, even different regions of the United States can be a big difference. Um, And then when you fold in, I'm a young person from Western Europe or I'm a young person from uh, South Africa, 
um, or the Philippines, oh my gosh, it looks a lot different in terms of the cultural markers um, for what it means to kind of, you know, grow into adulthood and become spiritually mature. Oh, that's so interesting. When you started kind of experiencing these other cultures and learning from them, what was one of the biggest surprising things to you, um, like as far as differences go with students and young adults in America versus other regions of the world? Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, uh, Whatever the cultural milestones are that Mm -hmm. kind of signal adulthood are so different um, depending on where in the world you are. And honestly, one of the struggles that I I think is particularly American is that uh, there's not like a moment where you're an adult, right? Right. Um, There is this sliding scale of experiences that you're supposed to have that in theory transition you from being a young person into full-on adulthood, right? And if you're uh, 16, that's a big one because you can get a driver's license if you really want one. But, you know, with mm-hmm. self-driving cars and things, you probably don't need that anytime soon. So yeah, that one yeah. might not even be a thing soon. Um, at 18, right, you're probably going to graduate high school and uh, you could, you know, go to R-rated movies and buy lottery tickets and a whole bunch of other things if you really get want to. Get the nose piercing. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I did. Yeah. You can get pierced <laughs> and you can get right. tattoos and you can do those things. Um you can also serve in the uh, armed forces if you, you know, really want to. Um, so, you know, 18 is a thing, but then you're not really a full adult either because you're not 21. So you got to turn mm-hmm. 21 and then you can buy alcohol and other things that happen to be legal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still can't rent a car at a good price, you know, so mm-hmm. you get to 25 before you can do that. And then somewhere in the middle of that, you're supposed to, in theory, go to college, graduate, uh, maybe meet somebody, get married, think about buying a house and having a kid. And, um, you know, in the U.S. anymore, none of that is like linear anymore. Yeah, Um, That stuff can be done in any order and it can sort of be done at any age. And so there's this real um, gray area of when somebody is actually recognized as an adult. Um, and in some other cultures, there are, you know, like very, very clear times in life or rites of passage sort of experiences where on this side, you're a youth and on this side, you are a full adult. Mm -hmm. Um, there's really no such thing as like a young adult, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you're in the adult club or you're not. Um, Mm -hmm. and in the U S yeah, it's surprising being, you know, looking at different cultures and saying, wow, we really have this extended adolescent period that we've created. Um, And I've been at a couple of churches where, you know, like there's even a struggle for the young adult Sunday school class or whatever um, (laughs) to like graduate out of having that name. Right. Right. Um, The last church that we were at uh, in Tennessee before we moved to Colorado, uh, we joined the young adult Sunday school class. And uh, my wife and I were 35 and 38 at the time. And we were the youngest ones in there. And we were like, wait a minute. Right. This is just an adult Sunday school class. This is just just adults. You true. We just don't want to say that. Why don't we want to say that about ourselves? Right. Right. That's fascinating. I, I love that you brought up rites of passage because that's something that I've really been looking at for the past few years. Um, I was hired on at a church, um, as a kid's pastor, some years ago. And part of my job, like expectations was to develop robust rites of passage for them. Mm, And I think that that's something that 
um, I think you're right. Like there's no, there's no point, right? So in addition to all of the things that you said, we can be on our parents' insurance until what, 26. And then, um, I think, I think the latest brain sciences that are, are, our brains don't even fully develop until we're 26 too. And so there's just this like slow leak of adulthood <laughs> and, and some of the things, the major expectations um, that, that we put on ourselves as a society, some of those major decisions like marriage, house, career, kids, all of that's done even before we, some, for some of us are even off of our parents' insurance. And so I think it's so crucial for us as people of faith to, um, to think about like what does it look like for us to um, to develop some kinds of rites of passage, right? So we we have baptism, we have confirmation, and what else, right? right? Have you have you found have you found that there are any types of rites of passage for youth or young adults that are that can be really meaningful? Uh, that's a super duper great question. Um, and one of the ways that I've kind of addressed rites of passage, you know, related to especially some of the work we've done through discipleship ministries, um, there's a whole set of resources and things that we have that uh, are related to intentional discipleship systems. Mm-hmm. And within an intentional discipleship system, right, like intentional is you're doing something on purpose, discipleship, you probably want the young person to grow in faith or act more like Jesus or whatever discipleship looks like for you um, is uh, the idea of um, being able to recognize spiritual maturity. Um, Confirmation can be a huge deal um, or it can just be a drop in the bucket, right? Like youth might be there because their parents have asked them to do it. And you might be building a completely new connection with a new person that you don't know at all. Uh, Or this really could be the culmination of the promises that were made during baptism um, and a young person's chance to be able to respond to those. Um, And so like in a confirmation ceremony or a confirmation service of some kind, uh, it's really interesting for me to look at the language that a church uses uh, in that service, Uh, because in theory, at the end of confirmation, you are a full member of your United Methodist Church. And yet in Mm -hmm. practice, I don't think there's a ton of churches that recognize that sixth grader or that eighth grader as somebody that is now spiritually mature. And if they really wanted to, could sit on the ad council or, you know, like take on some of those leadership roles. Um, so honestly, um, there's, there's a tremendous amount of work that I think pastors and church leaders can do, uh, to help their congregation members understand what it means to look for signs of spiritual maturity in a young person. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it is this young person, somebody who's continually growing and heading towards Christian perfection. Uh, are we as a church offering them opportunities to, uh, serve, And to grow and to learn and to take on perhaps new spiritual practices or do Bible studies or prayer practices that would help, you know, kind of shape and form them in some ways. And so um, there's several churches who have used uh, Bible studies and those kinds of things pretty effectively Mm -hmm. Um, for anybody that's been around for a while. The disciple um, Bible studies that are kind of a classic. They've got a an abbreviated version now um, that you can kind of crank through pretty quickly. Uh, But taking chances to be able to kind of celebrate graduations and working through those kind of materials uh, have been pretty big for some churches. Um, In terms of, uh, gosh, some of the other 
kind of cornerstones of youth ministries, service and mission trips um, and providing um, young people the chance to leave their context and serve and meet and do something in a new way and then come back home and kind of complete that circle by sharing the story of their experience has been pretty effective in terms of, uh, you know, milestones, because this might be the first trip that a young person takes um, where their parent isn't along with them, right? That's um, a big deal. It's a huge deal, right? Whether that happens in middle school or high school, or um, if it's 20 miles away or 500 miles away, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's a young person having a new experience um, where they are kind of tasked with making some decisions and reflecting on, you know, where they saw God and, and how they want to grow. Um, and taking the chance to be able to share stories once an experience like that is done uh, is pretty huge uh, in terms of some milestone moments. Um, a couple other quick ones might be, I mean, looking at graduation or the end of a school year kind of a thing is always an interesting one. And like Melissa, I would love to hear your take on this because especially in the U.S., again, um, when you have a graduation, usually you're graduating out of something, right? Like you're celebrating sure. being done with seventh sure. grade or celebrating being done with high school or whatever. Um, confirmation and then church stuff, it's it's almost backwards mm-hmm. uh, where you're graduating into something, right? right? You're graduating into the fuller life of the church. Mm-hmm. And for young people, that's really hard to understand because yeah. everything in their experience is... I do this, I'm done. It sets me up for the next thing. Um, as opposed to I That's do this good. and now I'm welcomed into a larger life of the church and I'm expected to do different things as a church member. You know? yeah. So I don't know what your experiences look like in that way. that you're enjoying today's episode. We have more resources on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. I hope that you will check it out and also consider registering for our upcoming webinar. It's February 25th and 26th. It's online. We have fresh new content, stuff you can't even get in the books. So new. And so we're excited that we will offer this webinar again, February 25th, 26th, please register on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. And now back to our episode. Yeah, especially for especially for confirmation, I've seen it kind of go one of two ways, kind of like PKs, right? It's either like, oh, finally, I'm done with this. And then, I, then we never see those young people again um, because they finished the thing that their parents made them do. Or um, for me, it really was like, okay, I'm taking this seriously. I don't quite understand everything that I'm <laughs> confirming right now, but I'm I want to learn more. And so for me, it was it was it was the opposite. I, I dove in, and so yeah, I think you're right. I think with we do kind of we we treat confirmation as a graduation, um, and also when you think about graduation ceremonies, there's this it's a commencement, right? Like they they try to use this language mm-hmm. of this is the next thing we're moving forward. This is just the beginning, and somehow it's still like we're celebrating being done. And so, like, I wonder what it looks like for us to add more, add more celebration points. And maybe that's what we're calling it. Like this is not a graduation, but we're celebrating how far we've come. We're taking some time out to, to recognize the work that we've done and also 
there's this next thing. And so I think like, I, I don't know how to frame that, but, but I would love to see more celebrating, um, yeah. you know, especially, especially this, these past couple years have been so hard. And I think it's so important for us to, to collectively grieve and process the trauma and also still hold on to those little things that make us human, like celebrating. Um, and, and I think, um, yeah, if there, if there's some way that we can frame it as we're going to pause for a minute and celebrate how far you've come and then also come up for air because we're about to go back down and do some more work, <laughs> right? Like this is the breath half, not, not even halfway, right? This is just the first leg of, of whatever race that we're running. And so, yeah, that's, that's really good. I would love to see more, more intentional pass, uh, rites of passage building mm-hmm in the U S just, just exactly for what you're talking about. Like, we just don't know what it means uh, to be an adult because there's just too many ages where it's like, we're finally here and and we're just not. And, and related to that too, I I love the language of celebration and, and being able to kind of grab onto that. Um, And part of that to me also is that, you know, those celebrations are not cooked up or, you know, concocted or put on by one person, right? Like that's not, necessarily just the pastor's job mm-hmm. um, or just a congregational care specialist's job. Right. Um, there's a ton of research, uh, particularly from like the Fuller Youth Institute. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple of resources that have come out recently. I mean, the, the classic one is Sticky Faith, um, but ones that have kind of reinforced their initial research findings there uh, called Growing With uh, and Growing mm-hmm. Young. Yep. And, you know, within that research, they really found that young people who are connected with somewhere between five and seven adults mm-hmm. uh, in a church that know them by name and they know by name um, yeah. and can serve as, you know, not only friends, but also spiritual mentors and maybe the people that would coordinate some of those celebration moments and those yeah. keystone moments for young people. That's really huge in terms of keeping a young person engaged as they continue to kind of grow into wherever the line is that adulthood is, is set by that congregation. Yeah, that's so good. And I think for so many folks they're they feel intimidated because they don't want to volunteer in youth group, but what you're talking about is more than just volunteering to be the games guy, right. Or like (laughs) to lead a small group, but this is, this is a culture of intergenerational discipleship that goes beyond, oh, I'll stay up for the lock-in and intentionally connecting with folks that are of a different generation than you are. And and the reality is, um, I hear this a lot too with folks who are considering youth ministry specifically, well, I'm not young, I'm not hip, so like it's not going to be fun. And really, I think statistics are showing that that's not, I mean... That's not what they doesn't, want or need. Doesn't, doesn't it, matter. It doesn't right? matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. They, um, I think youth want to know that they are known and loved and that they belong and that somebody cares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and whether that connection happens, like, you know, if you've got um, really terrible church coffee and watered down church lemonade at that one table, right? Like, yeah. be the adult that hangs out at that table and learns at bare minimum, like the name of a young person and what school that they go to. Right. So that you can ask. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the barriers I think that a lot of churches bump into when you're talking about getting people to serve or volunteer in youth ministry. um, I mean, is that word volunteer? Cause it does, you know, 
kind of implied time and commitment and those kind of things. But also, I mean, who among us had a really great adolescent experience, right? Like um, there's probably a handful of moments we look back at our teenage years and say, you know what, that was a great moment. But overall, like, no, my my own teenage years were not that fun. They were pretty awful. So it's hard. Why would I want to relive that by volunteering with young people? You know. Sure. Um, yeah. But the thing is, you're not reliving your own experience, right? If, if mm-hmm. you make yourself available to a young person as somebody that is not their parent, but knows that they uh, care for you and mm-hmm. are paying attention and want the best for you. Yeah, that is where the door opens, right? Yeah. Um, the fun piece and those things, I mean, th- those come along, right? You can find that almost anywhere. Right. But when you're talking about, you know, the ability to, like you just said, to, to know and to be known, right? Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you um, that that's where the door opens for, for young people. Um, and honestly, that that's one of the more timeless ones, right? Um, right. I, I, I do know that because of the average age of the United Methodist Church, when we talk about young people, there are still pockets of people that will think we're talking about millennials. Um, right. <laughs> but you know what? Like the millennials are the parents now. So right. we are on to those next generations. Right. Um, and it's really important to engage young people in those really authentic ways. Um, be, because that's that that's really where the the heart of the Christian relationship and I think the the heart of the experience of a young person discovering who they are as part of the adopted family of Christ begins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. You mentioned your own experience as a young person. And I'm thinking about all of the things that I like had anxiety about all of the, 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 the world events that were going on when I was a young, when I was a young person, a a student. Um, And it makes me think part of what, our responsibility as the church to do is to to understand and to hear and listen and know what uh, what young people are, what keeps them up at night, what what makes them worried, what makes them feel afraid, um, what are they thinking about, um, what what are they what are they going through right now? Um, as, as someone who comes in contact with young people for your for your job, what are the what are the big things? I mean, I think you know. Listeners are probably like, well, <laughs> COVID, there's one, um, some some political upheavals. But what are some other things that, that you're hearing that are that are keeping young people up at night? Yeah, uh, super duper great question. Um, and there are so many things <laughs> like yeah. it is. It's tough to nail down just a couple because um, it, it's huge. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the larger issues kind of across the board has to do with mental health. And uh, there's been a significant amount of research, um, you know, kind of related to the connectedness that technology offers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, like FOMO would be the um, acronym, but it's fear of missing out, right? Yeah. And so uh, if you're a young person and you've got your first cell phone and you don't know how to set up good uh, like barriers for when those little notifications pop up. Um, I mean, you are getting bombarded all the time. Uh, and you know, if you are, I, I mean, I'm 41. So if you're my age or older and you're listening to this, we grew up where there weren't cell phones and there was right. not the 24 hour news cycle. Right. 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 Um, if you had cable at your house, there was maybe 
uh, CNN and the Weather Channel. Maybe that was, mm-hmm. you know, and you could tune in to look at that for 24 hours at a time. Um, and if you went to school and you weren't having a good time or you had somebody that was bullying you and, and just being really rude and, and awful, you could leave school and there was an escape. Right. Um, and there's not an escape anymore, right? right? If somebody really wants to target you um, and you're connected on social media or, um, you know, different text groups or, you know, apps that, you know, really can do some good, um, but honestly also eliminate the escape route. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some real, real struggles um, with self-worth, um, with value, um, and with being able to be present and not distracted. Uh, because of the connectedness that comes from technology. Um, just because you're connected and on 24 hours a day um, does not, uh, to go back to the known and being known thing, um, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're being known. It means you're connected. Um, right. But it does not mean that there is this sense of care or this sense of uh, support or this sense of intimacy in a way right. that um, is going to be healthy developmentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and to complicate that, then sleep has been one of those things too, where. Yeah. If you've got your phone going off, you know, at all hours and you don't turn off your notifications, you're getting terrible sleep and that complicates some mental health stuff as well. Um, so those are some big ones. Um, and then, you know what, like, uh, yeah, COVID is, has been a crazy social experiment. And I think mm-hmm. that we're going to see waves um, of the effects of that experience play yeah. out over the next like 10, 20, 30 years, because yeah. you really have at least two years worth of elementary, middle school, high school, college experiences that did something that hasn't been done in modern times, right? Um, And so socially, um, I think that's another place that the church can step in um, and be a part of showing care to young people is kind of re-engaging that in-person social nature of things, you know, when it's appropriate. I know we still have to keep our distances when we need to and and be able to mask and, you know, do vaccinations and the things that will help us all be able to come together when we can. Um, But you got people that are out of practice of it now, right? Like if you've got a student that's done virtual school for two years uh, and they're not used to being in the same room as the people that they're interacting with, there's a whole set of social skills that they need an adult um, just to practice those with and be better at it as you practice it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, so yeah, those, those are a couple of real, real big ones. That's wow. That's so much. That's so much. I also think about the anxiety around like, I mean, I'm even thinking about my own child who's going to be going into school in a couple of years as a, as a tiny little kid learning, a, um, active shooter drills. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the anxiety right. of school shootings, um, there's just, it's, it just seems so, kind of this looming, you know, climate emergency that we're into. It seems mm-hmm. like there's such such big, heavy things that young people are being expected to know about. And they do because they're so connected. And, and also like they're thinking about this is my future and this is what the world is going to be like in 10 years. And so there's real questions about like, do like is college actually for me? So there's big mm-hmm. questions about yep. um, life purpose too. And I mean, it all kind of dovetails together into a big ball of anxiety, <laughs> you know? And it makes me wonder like how, what is it? Do you, do you have some specific suggestions for us as a church, as people um, uh, for how we can care for 
um, students and young adults, um, both in our church that are already connected and for those who are, who are not that are in our community and also needing, um, support. Yeah. Um, so here's how I think I'll try to tackle that one. Um, (laughs) given all that we just talked about, um, I don't think it should be surprising for anyone that young people have trust issues. Um, (laughs) right. Right. Not, not only with individuals, but with, corporations or with school systems or with the government and political systems, or you know what, let's go ahead and lump churches in there too, right? Absolutely. Um, That there's a lack of trust uh, because there has been a lack of relationship. And there's been so many stories about this is what we say we're going to do. And then this is what we actually end up doing, right? Right. Um, And so you take that combination of trust issues with 24-hour access to information. In my opinion, and again, this this is an opinion piece, but the thing that young people don't have uh, and a skill that they need to be able to grow and a skill that a church can help them kind of develop really has to do with setting up great filters and Mm -hmm. great lenses, you know? Um, what What is the Christian perspective or what is our church's perspective on race relations. Is racism a problem? And if so, what are we doing about it? Is the climate thing, is is climate crisis a problem? And if so, what are we doing about it? Um, Because the the information that young people have uh, is great at pointing out the problems. It's great at pointing out issues. It's not great at guiding people towards solutions or communities where they can process how that information makes them feel and then empowers them to be able to do something about those feelings, right? Um, and so honestly, for a church, I would say it's incredibly important to not shy away from the big stories that are happening right now um, because young people are getting exposed to that information and they're talking about them in all sorts of places. So whether they talk about them from a faith perspective as part of your church or not is really up to you as a leader. And so church leaders, like I I would recommend just do not shy away from the hard questions um, Mm. and the tough issues that are in front of people. Yeah. Um, But, you know, use a process of, you know, sort of those paradigm shifting things with young people where um, a young person's view of the world is changed because they have all of a sudden seen, uh, well, for when we're recording this, like people hanging off the bottom of a plane in the Kabul, Afghanistan airport. Right. Because of this political turnover. Right. Um, You need to be able to create a space where you can say, have young people say, this was something that caused me to ask questions about myself or about God or about why in the world this is happening. Mm -hmm. I also need somebody that can understand and hear what I'm feeling about it Mm -hmm. and help me process those feelings from a Christian perspective. Right. Like if I look at this thing and say, oh, my gosh, this seems like a problem to me. I need somebody who's part of my spiritual community or somebody that makes themselves available in the larger community outside the church walls to be able to say, let me hear, let me understand. um, And then let's talk about how we might think God feels about this or what God might think about this Um, and use scripture to be able to look at um, those same issues and say, you know what? Violence like that breaks God's heart too. And so if your heart's feeling broken and God's heart is feeling broken about it, are there things that we can do locally Um, that are not only going to kind of improve our mental health 
and our connections and our relationship, but also give us a shot at addressing some of those larger issues. Um, because to address even the biggest issues, you got to take them bit by bit and bite by bite and say, what does this look like in my own community? So if I happen to live somewhere that there are, say, uh, refugee communities mm -hmm. that have had an experience of needing to flee uh, another country because of what has happened and, and violence that they've seen. Um, maybe you could build some relationships with those communities. Uh, ask what they need and see if your church or if your youth ministry could provide um, some of the things that this community needs. Um, but yeah, that that idea of lenses and filters for information and how to process stuff is just something that young people need um, you know, spiritual guides and church connections to be able to make sense of just everything that's going on out there right now. That's so good. I love your, I love the metaphor and the language of lenses and filters, especially with this generation, because filters are such a big thing on. They Snapchat. make me look so good when I can get right? rid of these. Yeah, exactly. I'm, my favorite filter on Instagram is the one where it gives me tattoos all over my face, all over my face <laughs> and like a septum ring. I'm like, man, I look pretty badass right now. But like, but like, even thinking about it like a filter, let's put on this Christian filter for a second and and see what this looks like on the other side is really a brilliant metaphor. I also love, I mean, tackling these big issues. It, it can feel scary for all of us to, to engage in that space, especially now with division. And also every young generation ever has wanted a relevant faith. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like I wanted it when I was in youth, I still want it. And so I think I think when we when we reduce youth ministry to gaga ball and a a lock in and a fifth quarter after the football game, those things are fun and fine and good. But if that's if that is the extent of youth ministry, it's no wonder we're sitting here saying, "Well, why won't people come back?" But if we engage in meaningful conversations where young people can can wrestle, can question, can doubt, and feel loved and heard and accepted, even in the midst of those questions, that's a space where they can't wait to come back. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And this is a place that I love bringing up uh, a conversation that I had with uh, a young woman who's in Baltimore, Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a school teacher. Her name is Nadira Young. And Nadira, I'm forever thankful for this language that you gave me. Um, but, uh, this was several years ago. There was, uh, uh, it was one of the first real, uh, police protests related to violence. And it was in Dallas because there was a couple of shootings, um, that kind of rocked Dallas. And this is a good six or seven years ago by now. Um, uh, but we're in a meeting and we're talking about the impact of those, uh, violent actions and relationships between communities of color and, and police forces and those sorts of things. Um, and Nadira said that, you know, youth ministry for a long time has been built around the idea of safe space, um, mm -hmm. that safety, you know, offers the chance to grow and do those things. And yes, it absolutely does those. It's an important ingredient in that stuff. But when you create a safe space and you stop there, it shorts everybody on the experience that you should have as part of a church. Uh, right. Instead of safe spaces, let's use language related to brave spaces. Right. right. Where we know that we are supported enough by the community that's gathered that we can talk about hard things mm -hmm. and we can tackle tough issues um, mm -hmm. and we can grow together because we give ourselves permission to be brave with each right. other. And so I, I always bring up the chance to talk about brave spaces from Nadira when I get the chance. I love it. Thank you for, for bringing that up. 
So I'm here in creating spaces where young people feel safe and also safe to explore and question and and be brave in that. And we as carers and facilitators and leaders get to be brave <laughs> to do uh -huh. that work too, because that's really hard. That's hard work. And um, sometimes we say things that we don't mean and it comes out wrong and um, we, we get to apologize then and that's hard for us to do. But um, I think authenticity is, is way more um, valuable in the long run for all of us as we as we look at the world through this Christian filter and these lenses um, and seek to grow together in, intergener in intergenerational spaces. Well, Chris, I could talk all day long. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, if somebody out there is listening and wants to learn more from you and access some of your work, where can we find you? Oh, for sure. Thank you. And uh, I could talk all day too. So <laughs> I'm glad we're cutting ourselves off when we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, the website for United Methodist Young People's Ministries is umcyoungpeople.org. Mm -hmm. And we've got a collection of stuff there that is, um, you know, a, like a combination of lessons that youth leaders can, can use when they're engaging young people. Um, we publish worship series that go along with discipleship ministries, worship materials that follow the lectionary. Uh, so if you need no cost, you know, Sunday school or uh, scripturally based discussion items, we try to stay six months in advance on those. So like we're recording this in August and we've already written the stuff for February of next year, which freaks me out. Um, uh, plus, we've got information about grants and scholarships uh, related to education and being able to you know, provide some funds for innovative ministries with young people as well. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. And um, we will be sure to connect. I love getting to work with you as your colleague, as the, uh, as the intergenerational discipleship coordinator for the, the Great Plains Conference too. So thank you for your support and um, all of the work that you've done. Um, it's just really fantastic. Awesome. Well, Melissa, thank you. And my prayers go out to each of the congregational care folks that are listening to this. Um, know that youth and young adults, uh, and I know we talked more about youth than we did young adults today, mm -hmm. but um, my prayers are with you as you engage those communities because they need you. Thank you so much. And maybe we'll get a part two episode sometime soon for young adults. <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait for that invitation, Chris. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Melissa and Chris, we're so grateful for your wisdom and for sharing with us. And we certainly look forward to a future episode in a couple weeks where uh, Chris is back with us again to talk about uh, young adults. We're going to dive deeper in that. Um, in the meantime, will you share this, please, with your pastors, your youth directors, any laity that have uh, connections with our youth? We would love to care deeper for the youth. Um, our youth are, are not the future of the church. They are the church now. And I certainly hope that um, this was informative so that you can connect with our youth in real meaningful ways. Um, in the meantime, check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com, for additional resources and information. Also, consider joining us for our upcoming webinar 
February 25th and 26th of 2022. We would love to have you join us. It's got some great content, new content, and uh, we're really excited to bring that to you um, for your congregation and your community to dive deep into care and what that means to be the church and create a culture of care. In the meantime, may God bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week.